Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn DeWire. Okay, folks, my new book, A Lethal Legacy, A History of Ireland and 18 Murders, is finally out. It's available online and in shops. It comes in all formats, ebook, Kindle, audiobook or hardback, whichever you prefer best. I have a full list of links in the show notes so you can get your copy wherever you like to shop. Now, in today's episode, I want to explain a little bit of the history or backstory to the book and where it came from. There are multiple reasons why I wrote the book. But without doubt, a discovery I made in 2015 was pivotal. This discovery, as you're about to hear, posed a question that I sought to answer eventually in the book. But the story of the discovery itself is fascinating. It revolves around a grandmother I never knew, but I'll tell you that now in a minute. Finally, if you are listening to the show on Patreon or Acast Plus, you may not have heard the adverts running all week about the book launch. So, A Lethal Legacy, A History of Ireland and 18 Murders is going to be launching in Hodges Figgis on Thursday, September the 14th at 6pm. That's the week this episode is released. Now, it'd be wonderful if you could make it along to the launch if you're in Dublin. As I say, it's on in Hodges Figgis on Thursday, September the 14th. That bookshop is just up from Trinity College. So hopefully, if you're in Dublin, I'll see you then. Sound on today's episode is by Kate Dunley. So the story that in part, at least, inspired a lethal legacy, a history of Ireland and 18 murders, took place about eight years ago when I was cleaning out the garage in my father's house after he died. Now, tasks like this are never easy, And I certainly didn't think I'd end up telling you about it eight years later. That said, the garage was full of old boxes of newspapers and books, along with odds and ends gathered by four generations of my family over a century. This looked, on the face of it, like a veritable treasure trove. But as I started to sort through it, I quickly learned, and any of you who cleared out a house will know this, that the reality of these things is that they're never as exciting as they might seem. You see, people have a habit of keeping things for reasons unknown to themselves. For example, one of the first things I came across was a series of newspapers from the 1960s. Now, I assumed these might contain stories of consequence, maybe the Kennedy assassination or the moon landing. However, after scouring them, I found nothing of significance either for my family or in terms of wider historical events. They seemed to have been kept for reasons only known to the person who gathered them. 
There was also some old school books, but these had been destroyed by decades of damp. And then a box of old broken toys, kept perhaps because they had sentimental value once upon a time, but that was long lost to history. Eventually, tucked away at the back of the garage, I did however hit the jackpot of sorts. It came in the form of an old travel trunk stamped with the letters MTD. Initially, I didn't realise what it was. You couldn't really call this thing a suitcase, it was way bigger, and when I opened it, it actually had a few drawers and hangers so clothes wouldn't get creased. This trunk, or rather its contents, would leave me thinking about the past for a very long time, and ended up posing one of the questions I tried to answer in A Lethal Legacy. I knew pretty quickly who this trunk belonged to. It was my grandmother's. Those letters MTD stamped on the outside were her initials. Her name was Mary Dwyer. However, instead of clothes, inside it was stuffed with her personal effects. Letters she had received, photographs, a book where she jotted down thoughts, and another where she drafted letters before she wrote up the final version. There was also a few political pamphlets and books she owned. This was fascinating, but also for me it was pretty special because I never knew my paternal grandmother. She died in late 1980, a few months before I was born, and she remained a strangely distant presence, you might say, in my life. Every week in my childhood, we did make a trip to her grave after Mass, where she'd been buried alongside her husband, my grandfather Jack, and a son who had died in his teenage years. But this weekly pilgrimage of sorts didn't really give me any sense of the woman. My father rarely ever spoke about her, so I had very little sense of who she was. The letters and contents of this travel trunk, I thought, might give me a connection, albeit a posthumous one, to my grandmother. On the whole, the letters were fascinating. You've heard some of them already. Over four decades, she was in touch with her sister-in-law, a nun in Dakota, and a few years ago, I made a show based on their letters. I have a link to that episode, Letters from Dakota, in the show notes. Alongside these letters, there were also personal effects religious medals, and what seemed to have been a facial cream once upon a time, but it had dried into a kind of a solid powder. There was a lot of blank writing paper with an unusual black trim. Now, I do most of my writing via email, obviously, like the rest of us today, but I later discovered these were used in the aftermath of a death in a family to demonstrate a person was in mourning, and these would have been very important to my grandmother, as you're about to hear. As I sifted through these personal effects belonging to my grandmother, a picture of her, of sorts, started to emerge. Her childhood was preserved in a photograph from 1913 where she's standing alongside her mother, that's my great-grandmother. There was also a few letters that referred to her time in school, then a lot after her marriage to my grandfather, Jack Dewire, in 1925, when she moved from the farm where she had grown up into the town of Castlecomer. The contents of this travel trunk had glimpses into the early years of their marriage and the loving relationship the two seemed to have enjoyed in the 1920s and 30s. This came in the form of affectionate notes on scraps of paper written in the scrawling handwriting of my grandfather, Jack. He referred to my grandmother as kid. He was about 20 years her senior. There was also a few albums of badly taken pictures from these years that captured my grandfather at this time when he was still a youngish man. The pictures also catalogued a few family get-togethers when my grandmother's sister-in-law, Sister Genevieve, the nun in Dakota, made the long trip home. 
There's also another album of people no one has been able to identify since. There's no mystery here, it's just a reminder to always label your photographs. In a century's time, people might not know who you were. Nevertheless, I got the impression from the contents of the trunk that the 1920s and 30s were on the whole good years for my grandmother. If you're wondering how all this leads to the book, just bear with me, I'm getting there. In the 1940s, things seemed to have changed, and a shadow of sorts descended over her life. These were the years of the Second World War, but her concerns were rooted in personal tragedies. Indeed, the 40s and the 50s proved very hard for her. She lost one of her sons when the 14-year-old Michael Dwyer, a boy being primed for the priesthood, contracted tuberculosis and died. Pictures of my grandfather Jack from this time showed a man who is now showing his age and maybe even illness. He died around a decade after their son Michael, leaving my grandmother, a widow, at a relatively young age. She was in her early 50s with four young children. It seems that around this time, the nature of the items she was putting in the chest changed. There were no more personal letters. These gave way to things like official documents and bills, which weren't very interesting to me in the 21st century. It seems the brief window into my grandmother's life was firmly closed by grief. Now, since I found this trunk of letters, I've told people bits and pieces of this story over the years. And a frequent reaction is that it must have been an amazing posthumous connection to a grandmother I never knew. Initially, my reaction to this was to smile and nod in agreement. But if I'm honest, I was never sure. Don't get me wrong, I understood what they were saying, and it was an incredible find. But the connection part is something that I never got. No matter how many letters I read, I didn't feel any closer to my grandmother, or particularly her world. If anything, the letters and the insight into her world only reinforced the vast chasm between Ireland in the early 20th century and Ireland in the 21st century. To a certain extent, she felt even more distant than she had been when I'd only known her as a name on the family headstone or the woman in the black and white photograph on the wall at home. This came from the fact that every aspect of my grandmother's life I'd uncovered in the letters and her personal effects was a woman I struggled to relate to or at times even understand. Now, I'm not talking about her dependency on letter writing versus my dependency on email. It was a more fundamental difference than this. She was the product of her time and I was the product of mine and in ways that seemed like an unbridgeable chasm. For example, lots of her correspondence related to religion. She regularly wrote to nuns in a convent not far from Castlecomer, and this seems to have offered her solace in what were often very difficult times in her life. But this was a pretty alien concept to me. I'm not religious, so I wouldn't contact a priest, monk or nun if I was facing adversity. Another thing I found strange was her attitude to authority figures. Even though the power of the Anglo-Irish aristocracy had been broken by the Irish Revolution 20 years earlier, she still remained extremely deferential to them. I found a draft of a letter to the local landlord, which she opened by asking for forgiveness for writing to them. We did share an interest in politics, but I doubt we could have had a conversation about it. The trunk contained a handful of her books and pamphlets, but she, like many of her generation in the 1930s, had views heavily shaped by an extremely conservative Catholic church. 
the pamphlets and books verged on the conspiratorial, railing against communism and feminism in an Ireland that was already the most conservative democracy in Europe at the time. Now you might say there's nothing unusual about generations disagreeing over political and social issues. It's a big issue today, but in the absence of a personal relationship with my grandmother, I was just left with this chasm between her generation and mine. Now, the idea that things change is not new to me. I'm a historian after all, and changes in the past are my stock and trade. But understanding this is a different thing altogether. Now, since finding that trunk, I've gone back to it and looked through my grandmother's personal effects frequently. Every time, however, I still find it difficult to relate to or understand. Grappling with the fundamental changes that separated her world from mine let alone say the changes that separate me from maybe my great-great-great-grandparents who lived through the Great Hunger, was something that I began to think about a lot. Explaining this, or perhaps trying to understand it, is a better way to explain what is the origin story of a lethal legacy. It's not a personal history or anything like that. I don't mention my family in the book. That's not what I'm getting at at all. But the book attempts to explore what life has been like in Ireland over the last nine to ten generations, since around the year 1800 and it explores the huge changes in Irish society over the last two centuries. I chose murder as a theme for several reasons. First and foremost, it's one of the few times where the historical record slows down and ordinary people who are normally ignored or overlooked by the historical record suddenly become extremely important. This is not just the victim and the murderer, but often people who knew them or those who unintentionally witnessed the crime. I carefully selected the murders because they represent some of the broader changes and themes in Irish history. The victims, or perpetrators for that matter, are not necessarily important people, but their deaths do reflect much more important processes at work. The 18 murders, therefore, create an overlapping series of lives that transcend the last 200 years and provide a link to the past through the world of my grandmother and then further back into the 19th century. The first murder took place in South Tipperary in 1821 and explores the violent world of land ownership, something that was of immense concern and importance to our ancestors in the 19th century, but feels incredibly remote today. This is followed by the story of a seemingly innocuous fight in Moira, County Down, that cleaved open sectarian tensions that dominated life at the time. There's also chapters that look at health. There's two cases that take place outside the island, one in the US in the 1890s and the other in London in the 1960s, which look at various aspects of emigration, something that has been central to life in Ireland since the Great Hunger and before. Chapter 14, entitled In Search of Morality, looks at a murder committed by a single woman who found herself pregnant in the 1930s. This, perhaps above any other chapter, provides an insight into why Ireland has changed so much since my grandmother's day. As I researched that chapter, I really began to understand how society was obsessed with vague notions of what was proper public morality. Writing this book has definitely helped me understand 19th and 20th century Ireland, and for the same reasons I think you'll really enjoy A Lethal Legacy, A History of Ireland in 18 Murders. It weaves a thread through about 200 years of our history, but is all the time grounded in the stories of people involved in each case. It's available pretty much everywhere from today. It comes in hardback, ebook, Kindle, and an audiobook narrated by myself. If you check out the show notes below, there's a link there to all major outlets selling the book in all formats. Whether you read or listen to it, I'd really hope you enjoy it. 
Finally, if you're in Dublin tonight, that's September the 14th, I'll hopefully see you at the launch. It's on on Hodges Figures Bookstore on Dawson Street at 6pm. Just up from Trinity College, it'll be wonderful to see you there. Until next time, Sloan. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.